First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. and get started if you don't mind. And I'm really excited about uh, today. I started uh, coaching uh, Aaron and Ryan and Jill and um, the the team there in Durango, Colorado, uh, probably eight months ago. I don't remember how long it's been now. And I have been since the very first day impressed with Aaron and really everybody in a leadership uh, position, the way the team runs everything. And it started to dawn on me, and I'm embarrassed to say that it just started to dawn on me because the reality is that I should understand this. I'm a father of four daughters. Uh, I'm in a a, a relationship uh, with a, a female. And it, it started to dawn on me that the, the you know, the female's um, perspective and situation when it comes to leadership in business and real estate is very different. Uh, than mine. And so I thought, mm, maybe we should explore that just a little bit. And Aaron seemed like the perfect person to do that with. I want to start out by saying happy Valentine's Day to everyone. <clears throat> and I have, with the help of Chat GPT, Jesus, I have written a Valentine's Day poem. Jesus, would you be okay if I read that to you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. So in the realm of houses and homes where dreams take flight, we gather today under the webinar's light, a Valentine's tale unique and quite merry, featuring Aaron Iker, our real estate fairy. In a world of bricks and mortar and beams, Aaron stands out achieving great dreams with a knack for leadership, a touch so fine she turns every agent into a super Valentine. So here's a toast to the lives we'll grow, to the houses we'll sell, and the paths we chose. May your lives be sweet and your clients be kind. Happy Valentine's Day from the best real estate minds. Let's not forget in this learning room where knowledge blooms and strategies loom, that the, hearts of, that the heart of all homes is love so true. Here's to creating a career that's perfect for you. So cheers to Erin and her unique position in the world of real estate. She's on a mission with courage and commitment and expertise so fine. She makes every day feel like Valentine. To the men and women in real estate's dance, may you find success and today, hopefully, romance. On this day of hearts, let us all be aware to celebrate the journey with kindness and care. So let's dive in with our minds wide open, or excuse me, our minds open wide Learning from Aaron, our competent guide in real estate's journey. May you all thrive. Happy Valentine's Day. Now let's keep the love alive. Hey, Susa, just for you, man. <laughs> By the way, a little help from chat. chat little help from chat. A little help from chat GPT on, on that one. I want to remind all of you. Uh, I want to let you know that Aaron is going to mention a few tools and resources uh, during the presentation. Uh, several of those will be provided for you at the end of the webinar. So if you'll just stay on, you get a QR code and you can go get those and it should really be easy. Um, I want to go ahead and, and, and jump into uh, the, the, the information, the meat of the information for today. And Aaron, you helped me understand very specifically that there is a huge gender gap in real estate. So I'd love it. I'll unshare for a second. I'd love it if you just talk to us about that. Yeah, I don't know how I can possibly follow that poem. And I think you should have just owned every bit of it and let ChatGPT go because you might have a knack. You never know. Um, <laughs> So this is a really exciting thing for me to talk about. I personally believe fully in mindset training as part of our success as professional individuals. And although today I'm going to talk about, you know, some of the unique maybe struggles that women feel in business, whether it's real estate or other things, 
But what I truly believe as a professional, I think the team that I work with will agree with me on this, is that struggles often are actually disguised opportunities. And leveraging our struggles Mm -hmm. that may feel like they put us at a disadvantage is actually where we can contribute the most meaningfully to the rooms that we're in. And I am incredibly lucky to have a business partner, a male business partner, Ryan Poppy, who believes in me completely. And a lot of the things I'm going to share with you are things that I've actually learned in working with him. But nothing in this presentation matters if you don't have trust, right? And that you can't trust that when you're not in the room that that other person has your back. Um, And I'm blessed to have that. So um, yeah, Cleve. If I could interrupt for just one second, uh, I also want to mention that you and Ryan really could not be any more different. Like, even if you like wrote out a list of the things you needed to do to be different, you couldn't be any more different. And to watch you to deal with one another from a business perspective is really like watching a, a sophisticated dance. And it's really, really interesting to watch the dynamic of of you supporting him and him supporting you and you bringing your differences and him bringing his differences. I uh, Changing subjects, I heard the um, the CEO of Coca-Cola, I do not remember her her name, an Indian lady. She's not the um, the CEO any longer. And she talked about the importance of diversity and having different people at the table. And and one of the things that you mentioned is that leadership has a real uh, gap in in female leadership. Talk to us about that just a little bit. Yeah. So um, to piggyback a little bit on what I was saying, you know, this isn't just about men empowering women, right, and trying to close the gap, which I'll get into in a moment. But it's also about women feeling empowered to speak up and take chances and understand that our differences are our biggest asset from both sides of the coin. And so when we look at NAR, what they report for licensed real estate professionals in our country, 60% of licensed real estate professionals are women. I don't think that's going to come as a big surprise to anybody on this call. However, in our executive level roles, our leadership level roles in real estate, there are only 14% of those roles held by women. That's a 46% gap. It also suggests that we need to have three times as many women in leadership roles as we currently do to create a place where we're compassionately and confidently representing each other. And so when I heard that, I was like, wow, what is it that we're missing? And what is it? Because I know I work with incredibly confident professional women who have the ability to do these things. So how do we lift each other up from both sides? Man, woman, it doesn't matter. We need to come together. And how do we as men understand that we need the perspective of women. Um, I'd like to uh, introduce my Valentine. She's actually on the uh, webinar with us today. Everybody say hello to Tammy Slay. She's my she's my Valentine and I, I, I love her a lot. And it's so interesting as I interact with women, I, I continue to get um, notification that I might not be understanding things correctly. And so as Aaron and I were going through the process of preparing for this webinar, um, I was helping her. So I was helping her have better titles for her slides and I was helping her make better points. And in the middle of my help, I'm thinking, oh crap, I'm doing exactly what I don't need to do, even though I was doing it with the best, well, like I did it with the most genuine heart trying to help. And what I realized is that the gift I could give her, not that she needs a gift from me, is me listening and fully understanding before I offered any comments or suggestions or anything, or sometimes even if it was something that I didn't understand, let's just roll with it like it is because she's the expert and I'm the outsider. And um, so anyway, I just want to mention that it is so easy for us as males um, because we have a very different view of the world for us to handle conversations uh, between us and females, whether it's clients or, or 
uh, other leadership to handle it in a way that we think we're helping, but the reality is we're not. And Aaron, I want to say thank you for being gracious and never pointing out that I was not helping you, but keeping me on track. And I think these are some of the things that Tammy might be trying to help me understand uh, on a, should I say hourly basis? I don't know. It happens several times a day. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think the interesting thing, Cleve, is that it wasn't that you were wrong. It's just that what we, what I was trying to explain from the perspective, which is different, was something that needed to be unpacked in a different way. And so, you know, there is no right, there is no wrong. There's just open-mindedness. And that's the heart of what we're going to talk about today. Love it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to move to my favorite slide. And this is all about understanding your value, but to you, understanding your value means something very different than I think it might mean to many people, especially just on the surface. Yeah. And before I get into that, I got to explain this picture because I am um, the lucky mother of twins. I have six-year-old twins. At this point in this photo, they were just over a year old. And uh, my daughter on the right-hand side in the hearts is not happy in this photo. My son on the left is enjoying every moment of it. But what you didn't know that happened right before I hit take this picture was that little yellow animal in his arms has a pacifier on it and it was in her mouth. And right as I lifted my phone up, he yanked it out of her mouth, upset her completely and got extreme joy from tormenting her like that. But what I think is so cool about this is that one year old, a boy and a girl, and they responded so differently to this moment in life that was exactly the same until that one trigger changed the environment. So even as adults, we still go through this same difference in perspective, right? And uh, so you all know at six years old, they are still exactly the same personalities. I deal with this on a daily basis. But when it comes to understanding your value, I really believe that professional success can absolutely only be achieved if you understand what your personal values are. And I have lots of tips and strategies to give you guys tactical things today. But before I can even share those things, we have to understand as professionals, what is valuable to us personally, and how that's going to show up in our daily professional success. I think there's a lot of places in life where we are absolutely priceless, our time with our family, our kids, our spouses, our partners. And there's a couple of exceptions here. And this is going to make sense as I talk about where women some, sometimes find innate, innate traps. But a few exceptions are, you know, doctor's appointments. You can't help your family with professional things like, you know, they need to go to the doctor or the dentist, whatever that is. You can't help them if they're struggling with something really hard. Maybe they need to go talk to a therapist. That does not need to be something that we as women in business own in our home lives. But the time we spent with them is priceless. You cannot replace yourself in the time you spend with your family. I think it's interesting when you look at your professional authentic self and what you value and how that plays into how you show up every day professionally. And I would challenge a lot of business leaders on this call to really think on that and self-reflect if our personal values are appropriately articulated in our professional values, because it is extremely hard to show up professionally and show your values if they do not tie in with personally what you believe to be valuable as well. And, and at what percentage of the time do you think um, women, um, feel guilty about the stuff they're giving up over here to do over there. I would, I would love to tell you as a man that I have lots of feelings of guilt, uh, overworking, but it, it doesn't enter my mind because I figure somebody else is going to take care of all the other stuff. So how, how like, does it happen a lot? More often than men. I mean, hard to put a number on it, but I think, you know, decades and decades of roles and responsibilities and we as women have a hard time, you know, think about putting your children in early childhood education instead of being a stay at home mom and, you know, what that looks like laundry household things I don't really care we all have our thing, but it can be harder as a female to let that go 
because we've been conditioned to believe that that's part of our responsibilities. But the reality is someone can probably do it better than you. In some cases, it's okay to say, that's not my best use of my time. And it doesn't make me any less of a mother, a partner. It just makes me more strategic in spending my time in a way that's going to be valuable for me, my family, my peers. When you and I were talking before, you said something along the lines of that um, we don't do enough of the things that bring us joy and happiness, and we do too much of the things we think we have to do because other people expect it of us, or maybe we feel yeah. like they deserve it. I mean, so talk talk about that because that yeah. is something, honest with you that that I can't I, I I can't relate to that. That's not that's not a feeling that I have. Yeah. And I think that this is a really major difference between men and women is women will tend to do more things just because we feel it's an obligation or responsibility to do it. And we're slower to let them go because of the weight of the responsibility. But at the end of the day, you show up to the things that make you happy in a much more authentic way than you do the things that don't make you happy. And um, you know, we talked, Clave and I talked about ROI, right? That's like the return, our monetary return on our time. But what about your return on happiness or return of happiness and the things you're doing? At the end of the day, um, I, I've worked with a woman for a long time and she always says, your job's not going to pick your nursing home. And I think that's so important, right? Because the happiness you get is the thing that is going to make life worth living. And you have to pay attention to that, asking your question, what is my return of happiness on this thing I'm doing that will trickle down and benefit your staff, your agents, your peers, your family, but more importantly, yourself. So I want to explore just a little bit more about how your values come to life in the business. And you mentioned earlier that you and Ryan um, really both value variety in life, different experiences. And so how do you cause that value that, that fortunately you and he share, how do you cause that to show up in your business? Yeah. So um, we, just because you'll hear about them again, we have four core values with our company, collaboration, contribution, uh, accountability, and innovation. And Ryan and I both agree that being able to have change and try new things is something that fulfills us personally. We enjoy new experiences. And so when we created our core values and we started building our business, we knew innovation had to be a component of what we were doing. Because if we just showed up and did the same thing every single day for the next 10 years, neither of us were gonna be fulfilled personally. So uh, innovation as an example within our business is we do about every two or three years, we analyze our tech and we're not afraid to change what our tech stack is for our business if it's for the better of the future and where we're going. We utilize video at an extremely high level um, and have for a long time. And to the point that we don't only use video in a way to share on social media and share with our clients on a regular basis, but we've all also used it in a way where we automate experience for our customers and our clients when they're going through different parts of our process. Um, an example is when a, a, a buyer or a seller goes under contract, we have an automated video that goes out introducing our transaction coordinator department. So our clients are getting to see face-to-face -face the administrative staff that they're working with and how important that individual is to us and our success. And we also use it in recruiting. We set an appointment with a recruit. They're getting a video saying, we can't wait to meet you and really humanizing via technology, that excitement that Ryan and I crave in business. And I would assume that when you're doing those things that you value, that you just feel much more at peace while you're doing them, meaning they just make sense. They seem worthwhile. They seem worth it. That was such a great examples. And I appreciate that. One of the it's things, oh, I'm sorry, you go ahead, please. Well, I was going to say more important than anything, it's fun, right? If you love what you do and you have fun doing it, you're more likely to do more of it. One of the things you mentioned um, is that, you know, your personal values must show up in your company's values. And you, you mentioned the concept of either earning or keeping. And as you said that to me, it was such a huge eye opener 
because when I go to the table at a meeting or some type of sales or something, I'm trying to keep the position that I already think I have, whether I do or not, it's beside the point. Uh, I think I have it. And it's different for a female. Talk about that. So this is a huge fundamental difference between men and women. It's also statistically why women are less likely to negotiate their pay when they start a job, or they're more likely to discount their commission when they're working with a client. And it's because women fundamentally go into a job interview or a listing appointment and believe that they are there to earn the right for the business. I think more common than not, men go into those same appointments believing that they have the right to be there and that they are going to keep the right to be there. And why this is so important to understand is because when you go in believing that you're trying to earn ground instead of keep ground, it, it impacts negatively your ability to be growth focused. And it subconsciously tells the people that you're talking to that there is room for negotiation. And that's a detriment, right? That's a detriment to your success. And I do believe that women struggle with this far more than men when it comes to coming to the table. Such a such an interesting thing. Do you have an example of where you had to get over the 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 fear of losing ground so that you could start making some changes that turned out to be impactful for your business? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the main ways that I have like found a way to combat this is by really using our core values as our foundational ground, right? So everything that we do comes from the foundation of our core values. And I explained to you this concept with our company about video and we um, are in a little bit of a smaller market. There's about 50,000 people in our area. And we started sending out weekly videos to our database as well as all agents in our network. And I remember hearing from people in our area that they like, what are they doing? What could they possibly be trying to accomplish over there? And we just kept going. Ryan and I would sit in rooms and say, okay, well, we're hearing feedback, but what are we going to do this week? Let's come up with some new crazy idea and really taking that moment where I personally could have lacked confidence and using as a using it as fuel to prove them wrong was really invigorating. And not too long after that, the feedback started to change and people started to get familiar with it and say, thank you. I appreciated what you shared with me. Um, and that reinforcement proved that taking that risk was worth it. As you said that, I was thinking, they're thinking, who do they think they are? And you're thinking, I know exactly who we are. And I think that is such a cool uh, concept. And I wish I wish all of us could have more of that uh, on a daily basis. You talked about the importance of your core values being alive in your business. And I know we're talking a lot about values, but I think it's because, you know, as a female leader, um, you know, when we bring those values to the business, they, they have the ability to create so much more life than, um, sorry, the boring old stuff that we've talked about for 50 years. I hate to say that, but, but I think it's true. So, um, you asked specifically for a tree, uh, on this, uh, uh, slide. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why you did that and what those bringing, getting, bringing life to your core values means. Yeah, so I think life and your core values shows up in a lot of different ways. Um, one of them is, are they actually breathing life in your business and creating growth in the things that you're doing? I also think that it means that when you're developing and planning strategy for your business, are your core values continuing, continuing to show up in the things that you're doing? Um, and the real last part about this and Cleve, we didn't even talk about this, but as you were talking, this hit me. I think a lot of business owners make the mistake of making their core values far too specific because really values are something so much deeper than the surface level specificity of what you think you're trying to accomplish. And by making them not necessarily vague, they need to be specific, but by making them um, have room in them to grow, your values can grow with your business and how you define and identify, especially a value like innovation and the things that you do 
by allowing them to have their own life, it allows you as a business owner to be more agile and take more chances while still staying true to your foundation. When um, you and I were talking about core values, uh, to me, I kept hearing, here's a boundary, here's another boundary, here's another boundary. And, and I certainly don't want to um, uh, tattle or share personal business, but every once in a while, Pammy reminds me of, of certain boundaries and things that we need to uh, stay within. And so how do your values or how do the company values help people understand, look, you can go to here and you can go to here, but you can't go any farther? Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, core values are freedom. They are absolutely your permission to have freedom because they are bigger than you as a person and bigger than you as a leader. So it doesn't matter if my business partner is a man and I'm a woman, the values are different from us as people. And those guardrails allow us to operate in the stance of what's good for the business. I think as a female male, it doesn't matter if you are setting values, you need to be asking yourself, one, are these values I'm willing to hold myself accountable to at all costs? Because speed of the leader, speed of the group, how we show up is how we need to expect our people to show up and they should be able to see that in us as well. But also what does accountability really look like to those values? And are you willing to hold people accountable to those values? And if the answer is maybe, then it's not the right value for you and you need to reassess. And you have to live your personal life to those same values. I told you one of our values is collaboration. And I would say without a doubt that Ryan and I collaborate outside of the office as much as we collaborate inside the office. That's just who we are. I have a mantra, by the way, because, you know, agent, agents come, agents go. There, there are things that happen outside of our control. And there have been times when we've lost people in the past that, I have received probably inequitable blame for why they were unhappy and why they were leaving. And, and I know Ryan, he's on this call. I know he has seen this happen as well. Our core values gave me the freedom not to take that personally. And it, I have a mantra that I say when someone leaves, it's they didn't leave because of us. It was the system by design. We designed a system to retain the people that wanted to be a part of where we were going. And the system just as well will make sure that the people that don't want to be a part of where we're going are no longer with us. So core values are freedom. I, I can't say it enough. And if you have something that you can take away and remember the next time there's disruption within your own office, it is that they are your freedom. So behavior restrictions equal freedom. Like that just blows my mind to think about that, to actually decide how we need to behave actually gives us the freedom to have confidence in what we're, we're doing, which is such a, such a powerful, powerful thing. Um, as I, we were, go, please, I was please. just going to add on to that because I think, you know, <clears throat> behavioral restrictions to an extent, and this goes back to what I was saying about core values need to have room in them to evolve. Because I personally want diverse agents with diverse backgrounds, with diverse personalities around me. And you cannot be so strict not to leave room for those people to grow, but within your foundation. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like the more diversity you have um, and the, the more contribution you take from everyone from a co-creation standpoint, the better what you do meets the needs of everybody. And so, you know, it's a, uh, uh, getting the, the, from, from all genders and, 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 you know, all races, just, and er, just getting feedback from everybody probably makes better decisions long-term as Absolutely. we were, as we were preparing, you mentioned the concept of, you know, getting to your plateau, uh, and, I know what it means to be at a plateau because I've gotten myself to production level plateaus and things like that. But but it mean, it, it means something even more um, distinctive to you. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I I look at these faces on this group and I wonder. You know, you probably hit an invisible plateau. I think all of us have in business and understanding the patterns that happen and being aware of paying attention of those patterns that lead to a plateau is so critically important. 
very early on when Ryan and I were building the team, I recognized that we had this plateau where we were having trouble getting over about 10 agents on our team. We're up to almost 20 now um, and growing significantly faster now. But we get right about to that 10 agents on our team and something would happen and we'd lose two or three. And then we'd recruit again and we'd get back up and we'd be so excited and then something would happen again and we'd get back down. And what I learned when I started to unpack what was going on was really that we weren't living true to our core values. And there were a few things within our team that we hadn't done a very good job of communicating. So number one, leadership knew our core values. We could repeat them. We could define them. We could live by them. But our agents weren't hearing enough about them. Number two, behind closed doors, we didn't necessarily have the same language to how we were handling things with people and we needed to, because if you work with other people, whether it's a business partner or a sales manager, and you've probably heard the, oh, I'm gonna go to mom or I'm gonna go to dad, we're just gonna try and get a different answer. Inevitably, we were saying the same thing in the heart, but the words were coming out different and being perceived different. And so we put together what we call leadership confidence scripts around the things that really were impacting our business the most. And we also recognize that our brand new agents weren't hearing about our core values nearly enough. And so we layered in core values in our onboarding in a way that was so much more meaningful and connected every single system process behavior activity that was going to lead to their success back to the values that were part of our organization. Had a huge impact on recruitment. My sales manager, Jill, I actually, I called her a sales manager and that's not actually her title. And that was by design. She is our director of agent coaching and culture. <laughs> and I know that's a mouthful, but it was intentional because we didn't want a manager in that role. We wanted a coach in that role. We wanted a liaison that could help our agents grow in alignment with where the company was headed. So I'd be interested, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, to have an example or two of where you put together a, a confidence script. And, and, and my understanding is that everybody from leadership is they're walking in lockstep. They're saying the same thing. If the result turns out badly, well, we did it based on a core value and we're saying what we mean and what we believe, and we'll just have to deal with that. So could you give us a couple of examples of where you use those? Yeah, um, we've got a few places, but you referenced bad leads. And I think that is, especially when people are coming from other brokerages or other models and they don't necessarily understand what we've built here, they'll come in and think that if it you know, looked like this over here, it's going to look like this where I am now. And so um, you know, it, it happens. People think the communication or the contact I'm getting, they never answer, right? So we came up with our confidence script around if an agent comes to you, especially brand new recruits who are still assimilating to what we offer and what it takes to be successful, how do we talk to them about there are no bad leads without just saying there are no bad leads? Because that's not meaningful to them, right? The reason that there's no bad leads is because it's not about the lead being bad. It's about us as the agent needing to dig deeper into understanding why they came to us in the first place. We talked about that as a leadership team, but we didn't have a great way of explaining to our agents consistently that mindset. And if we were going to do the work as leaders on mindset, then we needed to make sure that our agents were coming along with us. And the goal was to get the agents to look at the leads differently and for them to get the exact same answer from Jill that they get from Ryan, that they get from you. And it, it's all the same. It's like, hey, we got to understand what's going on in their lives. And it's such a powerful thing because if they truly understand what's happening with somebody and they're open-minded to everybody's not cut out of the same cloth here. You know, everybody doesn't need to buy a home today. Some people need to buy a home next year and some people need to buy never. I just love that concept. Aaron, did you have something you want to say? Well, I did because to connect this back to why we're here today, which is the difference between women, women and men and why these are assets. The other side of that is I'm going to use different word tracks, no different cleave than when we were preparing our slide titles for this presentation. I'm going to use different word tracks than my business partner is. And that's going to mean different things to the person who receives it. And when you say different things, that creates confusion and lack of confidence in your team which is the one thing we all know isn't going to lead to success. So we did it. It sounds like in some ways we did it to help us, but we really did it to create clarity for our agents 
so that they weren't hearing two different things and that they knew exactly what the expectations were and where they were coming from. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but I would love everybody to think through it just a minute, how you might have experienced some leadership that to describe it as inconsistent would be too flattering of a way to describe. Um, and it, 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 it creates a lack of security. It creates a lack of of, of comfort. And it's, it's, it's really problematic. And sometimes Aaron, we, we, we get to where we're dealing with somebody and we're like, mm, this person's going to say whatever they need to say. It doesn't matter. And I might hear something different on Friday. And then, you know, all trust is, is, is totally out the window. Um, one of the things that you mentioned that to, to get over the plateau and to get back in growing um, is that you needed to change the way you were onboarding your agents. And I know the change of the onboarding also changed a lot of the recruiting that you're doing. Talk to us a little bit about those two. Yeah, so once we got super crystal clear on our core values, it became a lot easier to recruit to the same drum and understand that the people we were recruiting were going to fit in. And when we knew that the people we were going to recruit were going to fit in, it gave us permission and it gave us confidence to give more time to them to really structure, bring them in in a way that was going to lead them to success. So we went from what used to be before Jill joined us, a one week power session with me as a small team to three to four weeks of layered, real time, self-directed and in office training, as well as, you know, skill set practice. They're, they're, Going in and doing the behaviors of success for an agent, like making phone calls by week two, so that we can also understand if they're in alignment with our values. And that was a, that the mindset was value alignment and skill building, not just skill building. And, and Jill, I hate, to, I hate to put Jill on the spot for a second, but I don't know if you'll unmute for just a second. How did having confidence in the way you were going to onboard people affect the conversations you're having with people about joining your firm? Because I'm guessing probably had a significant impact. It just, it makes it crystal clear, right? If we have the confidence of this is the process we're going to go through with onboarding, I can ask the questions and get the buy-in and they know what to expect when they come to us. There's no gray zone. There's no confusion from the first moment we meet to when they're writing their first contract. Everybody knows where they're at. It's been really nice. Love that. Erin, uh, did you have something else you wanted to add? I think that's good. I'm excited to get into some of the tactical stuff for you guys and share some specifics. All right, let's get to our next uh, next topic, which is turning your struggles into opportunity. Um, you and I had some conversations around this, and I knew exactly what you were saying, except I didn't know what you were saying. <laughs> and as you continued to clarify, it was fascinating uh, for me about struggles and specialization. So so uh, share some of your wisdom on this. Yeah. So I talked at the very beginning about how we have to look at our unique struggles as truly opportunity and as our differences as assets. And I really believe that women have three main struggles when it comes to business and our differences of how we operate. Um, the very first one, and I think most women will look at this slide and be like, was that me yesterday? Because I felt like that might've been me this morning, is we have a proven ability to what they call and have proven not is multitask because you can't multitask, right? You cannot technically do two things at the same time. But women are extremely good at juggling multiple things at the same time. We are very advanced at this. And what this does is it makes us feel like maybe we can architect something to perfection because we're capable of carrying so many thoughts at the same time that we believe we're going to be able to think of everything. And it's impossible. The problem with over-architecting for success is that you miss out on actually being agile and evolving something to its true benefit and goal. And I look back on our group, we um, hired our first transaction coordinator several years and years ago, and I spent months trying to design a transaction management system within CSU. if anyone on this call uses CSU, before she started. 
I'm like, I'm going to do this. It's going to be perfect. I'm going to make, I'm going to think of everything because I know I can think of everything. And it was pretty quick after she started that I realized I can't think of everything. And actually I thought of a lot of things I didn't even need to think about. And she started changing things and shifting things. And then we hired a second transaction coordinator to work alongside her. And when that second transaction coordinator came in, we didn't over architect. We said, here's your framework. Our expectation is that our clients have the best experience possible. Our expectation is that they tell everyone that they've never had a real estate experience like this. Here's your framework. Here's your systems. You're held accountable to the experience, not using it perfect. And what she did was take it and make it something even better than I designed or the person after me or the person after her, frankly. Um, letting go of that desire to over-architect gave me freedom to start implementing new things faster. And they're actually better than they were when I tried to control it. And it's not because I think women are naturally controlling. I want to be very clear about that. We aren't. It's that we believe that we can think of everything. We can pull all of these thoughts, put them together and design something so perfect. And we also have a hard time with failure. And so by trying to design for perfection, we're preventing the chance that we might fail in the future. And that really is actually limiting our success instead of preventing our failure. Those two things seem like they should work hand in hand and they don't. So letting go and allowing yourself some failure and taking that opportunity for failure in a different way is really what increases the rate at which you can grow. And if you and Ryan are working on an important initiative and he were to recognize, uh-oh, we're getting into the over-architecting just a little bit, what could he do that might be helpful to do some, some redirect? Um, good question. And I, what I really want to say is he just tell me to knock it off because I told you we have trust <laughs> and because of our trust, he can be that awesome and, you know, authentic with me. But, um, really, I think it's just understanding that if you, you can put time to these things and understand the return on your time, if you're going to continue to architect for perfection, how much longer is this going to take us to actually launch and implement? And is that delay worth it? So strategically unpacking that is so helpful. That So the first thing, uh, struggle that we need to overcome is over-architecting. And the next one is delegation. And uh, it seems to me like you look at delegation very differently than I look at delegation, uh, probably because our, our past experiences yeah, so delegation, I talked about how women have a hard time with failure. We have a hard time failing ourselves, but we also have a very hard time watching others fail. And that can hold us back from delegation. I think when I compare myself, and I've, I've been in leading teams for 20 years, and when I compare myself to my male counterparts in the same roles, the men I've worked with have had a much easier time letting go of something, putting it on someone's desk, walking away, and then coming back and expecting it to be done. And I tend to want to check in. How's it going? Do you need any help? What can I do to support you? But what I'm really doing is just enabling them not to learn something on their own. And my innate desire to nurture them on the front end gets in the way of their growth. So I've shifted how I do leadership now. I've shifted how I do business. And instead, I'm trying to take the same innate desire to nurture and help people recover when it doesn't go as planned. Being a safe place to come when you've made a mistake is the most powerful thing you can do to empower other people in your business, women, men, staff, agents, is saying it's okay to fail and I'm gonna help you recover from that so next time you're better. And that it seems to me like what you're saying is that understanding that failure is an acceptable option. We don't prefer it, but it, it, it's something that could happen that that's what causes you to be able to delegate uh, effectively. I have to to say, and I hope uh, Tammy will, will give me some grace in saying this, but um, I noticed that she has headaches more than I do. And I think it's because of how much she's really worrying about things and thinking about things. And I'd love to say that, that 
I worry about things and think about things and don't have headaches. It's just not true. I, I, I don't worry about the same things that she does. And so if I delegate something to someone and they fail, well, that's tough. They should have done a better better job of it. And we just look at things very differently. The last time I had a, had a headache, I thought I had a brain tumor. So I, to say I don't have headaches it would be an understatement. Like literally, I'm like, oh, that's it. I guess I'm checking out of here. I just don't have, uh, I don't have headaches. And so yeah. when it comes to uh, delegation, um, how do you find that clarity over the expectation? How do you find that that helps? Because sometimes it, it might not be easy for everyone to be really clear about this is what we expect. Uh, and, and how important is that? So this is such a good question because one of the things I tell people when I hire them and interview them is that I am not a micromanager. I refuse to do it. I don't enjoy it. I can do it, but it is something that I'm unwilling as a leader to do, and I'm not going to. And so I set that precedent up front that they are not going to be able to work with me and expect that I'm going to answer every single question along the path that they need to take. But because of that, I also have to be very, very comfortable with the idea that they're going to do it differently than I did it. And that can be hard, but back to my example about my transaction coordinator, more often than not, it actually comes out as something better than if I was the only one having input and opinion on it. So I set myself up for success in the very beginning of hiring people by saying, I will not micromanage you. Um, I have let staff go who I recognized early on were looking for a manager to micromanage them because I knew that it was a trap for me. That if I had someone like that, I was going to fall back into the role that was going to consume me administratively and keep me out of my zone of growth. So by telling them that, I had permission to hold them accountable for that. And I don't want anybody to raise hands, but when was the last time that you delegated something to someone and you probably or I caused them not to be good at doing what they're doing because I wanted to show them that I knew how to do it and that I had worth and that I could do it. And it's a it's a real slippery slope. So, uh, number one, be careful about over architecting things. And that's a perfect word overthinking and over architecting. Those are two different things uh, that planning and creating a, a scenario for everything. Number two is you know, basically you got to up your delegation skills. And it sounds to me like if someone wants to improve their delegation skills, they're doing pretty much the opposite of what would be intuitive to them. Meaning exactly. they're, 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 they're doing less and not more. Uh, they're, they're putting people in their box and, and leaving them there. And then the third item, which as we uh, talked in preparing for this, as you started talking about it, I knew I had a perfect, perfect understanding of what you were talking about when it came to specialization. Again, it turns out I did not understand that. So for you, you believe that everybody needs to specialize in doing something different, but you believe that a female entrepreneur or a leader actually does specialization, specialization differently uh, than, than a lot of others. So give us some deets on that. Yeah, this is a superpower for my female leaders out there, because when I talked to Cleve about this and I started explaining to him the concept of, you know, focusing on the things you're good at and allowing other people to go do the things they're good at, he was like, oh, well, I call that specialization. I said, no, Cleve, that's not what I meant. I get specialization. What I mean is the ability to be collaborative in specialization, because we have our innate desire to nurture. We talked about that. We also have the ability to juggle a hundred balls at one time. And if you channel those two superpowers, which look like struggles, but are absolutely assets and use them to actually allow other people to go specialize and focus on certain things, but by still supporting them when they hit roadblocks and obstacles, you can still give them the feedback that they need to stay on course and not just walk away. Because I personally, as a female leader, would not be happy not helping other people achieve success. I personally enjoy that. And so it's a slippery slope of not getting too involved in exactly what they're doing, but also being there to help them continue to stay. I think our slide was rails, to stay on the rails. And I have a, a theory um, 
if you've ever had someone walk in your office with a problem, I call that they, they're walking in your office and they got a monkey. They got a monkey with them. And you have to make sure that they leave your office with their monkey. They cannot leave their monkey in your office to take care of. You can help them. You can tell them how to take care of the monkey. You can give them some guidance on what they should do next. But the monkey doesn't stay with you. And this can be really tricky if your desire is to try and help people, not to just say, oh, I'll just do it for you. No, no big deal. Don't worry about it. I'll just do it. No, that's your monkey. I'm happy to help, but your monkey's going to leave my office with you because I've got all my own monkeys. So the hard way seems easiest, meaning I'll just do it for you, which really is the hard way. And really the what you need to do is actually the hardest because pushing that back on them uh, politely and respectfully uh, is probably, you know, um, a much more difficult thing. And as we talked about collective collaborative specialization, we talked about everybody's lines cross like this. And so I look at as you put someone in a box and you leave them in that box and you let them do what they're good at. And what you're saying is, is that they're not going to do it in a straight line anyway. And occasionally I'm going to intersect with them and we're going to talk about it and we're going to improve and we're going to work together. And then I'm going to go my separate way and they're going to go their separate way. And it's such a, a beautiful way to look at that because as a leader, if you feel like you're carrying everybody in the organization on your back and any of you who have hired your first buyer's agent or your first administrative person, I think you can all relate to the feedback of, oh my God, now I got to carry everybody on my back. Um, and so I think it's such a, such a, a healthy way to look at it. Yeah. And the agile spreadsheet and system with Workman was a huge success tool for us in this to allow us to come together every couple of weeks, get back on track and then go back on our own. And we have completed so many more projects than we would have without it. So that huge recommendation and you know, use that if you aren't yet, figure out how to use it because it changed our business. I love it. You mentioned as we were preparing that the only good things that happen from a leadership development standpoint and from a from a really a company standpoint and family standpoint, for you, you recognize that they happen when you feel out of your comfort zone, when you feel discomfort, when you feel a lack of security. And, and it makes such good sense. And I think this is probably true for uh, males as well as as well as females, we might not admit it, might not want to be there uh, quite as often. But talk to us, give us your thoughts on this. Yeah, so there's kind of two concepts here. The first one is this idea that it takes brave actions to achieve brave results, right? And you see this picture of this guy um, bungee jumping here, which terrifies me because I don't like heights. But um, there, with this disproportionate gap we talked about in the beginning between men and women in business, there's a neurological reason for it. And it's because females tend to be a little less likely to take risks. I think about, you know, we talked about Ryan and I working together and, and he's my visionary and he comes up with all these crazy ideas and comes into my office and I'm the implementer. And we have come up with a very healthy relationship where no idea that we discuss is either all opportunity or all risk. There is both in everything. And so for me as a female in the beginning, and I know he would agree with this, I saw a lot of risk because I wanted to make sure that I knew exactly where we were going, because if we understood our direction, all things would fall into place. But because of that, we missed out on some opportunity and we saw some plateaus unexpectedly. The other thing that having a neurological predisposition for, towards avoiding risk or staying safe, I think Cleve, you put it that way at one point, is that we tend to fill in gaps in organizations because we can, not because we should. So you'll find yourself doing administrative tasks that I talked about your return on your time. What are you actually worth as an executive professional? We fall into these places because we can, because the risk of watching someone else fail or not doing it as well as us is just too much. And it also prevents us from delegating. Um, and it also makes you wonder if you're at the right table, right? And so at the end of the day, if you find yourself having a hard time taking risks, I don't necessarily think it's because you shouldn't be thinking about the risks. It's just because maybe your village around you isn't supporting you in a way where you can look at both sides of the coin in a way that's going to create the best opportunity. 
And if security is more important to you uh, because of your gender, then you have to be very aware of that because you, the only time you can have meaningful change is when uh, you're in an uncomfortable situation. We've got about five minutes left and we're not going to have a separate Q&A portion, but if you have any questions that you'd like to post in the chat, um, that and I'll be happy to pose them to uh, Aaron and, and we'll get her feedback uh, on this. When we started, we'll get her feedback, her feedback or her answers on all of the questions. As we were talking, preparing, um, you mentioned imposter syndrome. And I think imposter syndrome, I think if if males are honest with themselves, they would probably admit that they have they struggle with imposter syndrome, meaning I'm projecting to the world something different than I know is on the inside of me. And it it never dawned on me that that number one, that might be something that that a, a female would experience. And then number two, it could be very, very healthy from a leadership and, and development standpoint. Yeah, so this is a crazy concept, but I changed my life. Um, imposter syndrome is something that you should strive to feel as much as possible. And I think men, women, it doesn't matter. We run from it because it's that that fear place where we don't know whether or not this is something we should be doing. But the more you feel like an imposter, the more you're actually headed in the direction towards growth and change. And I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Big Leap. If you've read it, you'll understand this. If you haven't, go get it. But he talks about moving from your zone of expertise to your zone of genius. And the Ooh. only way you can move, what? No, I said, ooh, I like that. Ooh, Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, the only way you can move from your zone of expertise into your zone of genius is to be an imposter and feel like an imposter. And so when I share these things with you, I'm sure there are people on this call that have felt, oh, I already do that, or that's something I already do. But the reality is if you look back and challenge yourself to be more of an imposter, you will see exponential growth in your leadership skills, in the people around you, in your team, and ultimately in your business. And I will tell you that it's not uh, uncommon for me to find things to do that are safer than uh, things where I might not have expertise or I might embarrass myself or I might be, you know, um, I say sometimes I, I talk beyond my tongue. I talk beyond what I should be saying. And those are all situations that can create uh, that can create imposter syndrome uh, within each of us. And I think it's important for us to to recognize that I'm sure everybody um, who is, is on can 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 totally relate uh, to that situation. Um, we've got a couple of resources, uh, a couple of them. The only place you can get them uh, is actually here at this landing page. So, Aaron, I'd love for you to um Tell us about the resources and the giveaways that people can download very easily. And um, then if there's any final questions, we've got a couple minutes and then we'll call it a, we'll call it the end. Yeah. So I hope you'll download this. There's a video from me in there, including why I think these things are so important. We talked about Agile um, and the Workman tool for the Agile spreadsheet, which shaped our business by giving us a defined place to manage our projects and our initiatives we're working on. So they don't just become papers on your desk. And then we've also included a document that includes five strategies for men assisting women to success. And these are really simple things that you can implement in your teams right away and share with your business partners that will change how you interact and operate with each other in business. So I really appreciate you guys attending today. Cleve, thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, it was it, it it was amazing, and uh, I will. My email address is Cleve at Workman Success for anybody who needs it. And if there is a, a male um, worker or anyone else in your life that you would like to have the five strategies for uh, providing safer spaces for female entrepreneurs, and you don't want to give it to them, you can email me, and I will send it to them myself because maybe they will take it a little bit differently. The points are so very well, and one of the things that I'll say in closing that. Um, was very powerful, very impactful to me. And Tammy and I have talked about this before. Um, and that is sometimes it's easier for me to provide a safe space for someone else to be themselves and to express themselves and to do them, to do themselves, show up as themselves. than it is easier than it is easy for them to do it. 
And that is a huge opportunity uh, for all of us who who might have a little bit more influence or or might have a little more credibility or we're, we're not worried about losing ground. We're just worried about, you know, we're not worried about gaining ground. We're just worried about keeping ourselves where we are. And I think it's such an impactful thing. Aaron, thank you so much for all of the time that you spent preparing for this. Thank you for the wonderful insights. Uh, let's give her a hand everybody. I think she did an amazing job and I'm hope that we can turn this into a series and we can do more of these. Thanks everybody for attending today. I hope you got something good out of it. And I hope all the women listening today will go out and be spectacular. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.